Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. Today's guest on the Be Epic podcast is Lisa Barentine, President and CEO at First Preston HT in Dallas. Lisa and I discuss epic values focusing on excellence and innovation. I was really curious to hear how she instilled excellence in so many people so quickly as her firm grew from 30 people to 500 in less than a year. You know, when I think about excellence, you know, trying to do our best, did you... You know, sometimes, especially as an entrepreneur, you don't, you know, if you work in a big company, you've got certain people you could say, if you want to be excellent, you could say, these people represent excellence. As an entrepreneur, you're more on your own. And so you don't have those same clear benchmarks sometimes within your own company, but you have them outside or mentors. Um, How did you... Well, I have a business partner and have had a business partner uh, for over 30 years. Um, And we kind of look at that as, um, you know, our faith, the faith, how we were raised and the faith that we had kind of drove those, um, that integrity and those values that we wanted to see in our company. And I think we had different upbringings, but smaller towns, kind of a, a different way of going about things and so there were um, many times that we were faced with do we cut a corner here do we do something a little bit different you know that's not you know that kind of right on the edge and there were many times we had to go no we're going to do the right thing and we're going to you know even if that was the longer road so I mean I think that together as a team we could balance that and you know sometimes it in anything, you can say, oh, it'd just be easier if I just took the shortcut, and um, usually the shortcut doesn't pay off as well as the doing the right thing. So I, I would say that, um, and so both of our families, our children, you know, kind of kept us honest about what we're doing. And then um, also when we were really pursuing our business, um, we had an opportunity to grow very quickly and very, you know, um, in a very significant way. And when we made that decision to go after that work, um, we decided that it had to be more than just about making a whole lot of money. That we had to have a purpose, a value kind of centered purpose that would um, keep us moving in the right direction and, and, and that would make this worth it. I mean, you know, everybody wants to make money, um, but you, you know, making money, developing a culture, um, being able to do good with that um, is a whole nother level of commitment that we at the time didn't realize all that would come from that but have now looked back at, at some of those decisions and you know some of those value-centered um, decisions were important to future clients they were almost more important to clients than um, you know the references I mean it was more about who we are as people and who we were as a company um, they wanted to align with that you know people identify who they want to I mean students do this who they want to align themselves with do you know do they 
you know, what do they want to be? You know, what do they want their reputation to be? So um, same with companies. Companies look at you and say, you know, they work hard, they seem like good people, and they've got a great reputation. A lot of the things we did in the community were things that generated more, as much advertising or marketing. It was, it was not the reason we did it. It's ultimately what came back from that. So those connections and, and that kind of commitment to just putting together your whole plan was not just purely business. It was how do you put your faith, your family, your your whole being into um, doing something good. You know, you were talking about excellence and operating with excellence and really trying to do good, not just make money. Right. That starts to define your brand. Yes, it does. And your brand is something that is maybe one of the most valuable things you can have. Yes, I mean, it is, and I, you know, that and your people. I mean, I think um, we're a very service-oriented business. Our people were everything. Um, so developing kind of that culture of, you know, integrating all the values in with the business and, and you know, we were in a, you know, our, our major business was um, government contractors were doing some work that a lot of people don't want to do. It's really hard and not, not real clean kind of a, a job, but um, what we learned is, is, you know, it was in housing. So we centered everything that we were doing for good in housing. So then our people were very motivated to do things like, you know, to bring habitat houses, you know, out of the ground to, you know, work on housing in their local areas. And so, you know, it was great to take your experience outside and, and help others and, and take that excellence outside and, 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 and show people, you know, that we really cared about um, our community. Um, once you start that, you start realizing there's so many other things you got to do too, you know, <laughs> you just can't do the one thing. Um, but yeah, that excellence was in everything we did. I mean, it was like make, you know, do the right thing, you know, even when it's really hard, um, you know, find different ways to do things that maybe people haven't done in the past and kind of get around the, that's not how we do it, um, kind of scenario. And entrepreneurs don't like that. I mean, you, you tell me that and I'll say, we're going to find a new way to do it because <laughs> now you've challenged me. Um, but I would say that the excellence we looked for was just in everything they, you know, that people do. It's, you know, from, you know, whatever the computer work, the field work, the relationships with, you know, our clients and our and all the stakeholders in the areas that we work in. It's really just trying to be um, very respectful. And that was kind of, for, for us, that seemed normal and what you should do. But in the business that we were in and that we are in now, it's not always the norm. It was, and, and 20 years ago, it was not the norm. It was a very fractured um, business. Well, Lisa, you know, Creating a culture of excellence in a service firm certainly can give you an advantage, mm -hmm. but it's easier said than done. I mean, how do you get people to really adopt that? How does that become your culture? Well, I, you know, I think the way that we, you know, we grew really fast. We, you know, went from 30 people to over 500 in the course of about eight months. 
And so it was a drinking from the fire hose kind of scenario. And, I, you know, you I always... from t- 30 people to... 500 in, in a very it, quick time. And it was... It's cr- was that it was the crazy. Be- at the beginning or in It the was in, in 1999. So we had been in business about 10 years. So, um, so we grew so quickly. Um, and I always tell people, I said, there's some advantages of not knowing that you could fail. I mean, you know, I would know now how much harder that is than I knew then. I mean, I was a little bit green and that was helpful. Um, so I think that's really good for students to hear. Sometimes what you don't know can, you know, can help you because I didn't believe we were going to fail and neither did my business partner. And we had people that were, you know, all over the nation that was working with us. And I'll tell you, I mean, we, you know, we stayed in contact with them from the top. You know, we were a very grassroots company. Um, everything we did was out touching a house across the nation in about 40 states. And so we had to be able to get that communication from the top all the way to that field group. So, I mean, we just had to look for ways to improve communication. You know, in 99, you know, computers and and networks were not what they are today. So you had to really kind of be very creative. Um, You know, you had to just constantly talk about what those values were, constantly drive it home. and just impress upon your management team. And so we met at least quarterly somewhere with our management team and just drove that home. We had weekly calls. We, you know, we stayed very connected to each other. The other thing is we were doing something no one had ever done. It was kind of a new process. And I think we all kind of, we, you know, at that point, my business partner is a great storyteller. So she told stories of pioneers and how they were going to settle the, you know, the West, and and all, you know, that was really kind of what we were doing. We, you know, we all had all kinds of things like that we kind of identified with, and and you started to hear not only our staff but our vendors that worked with us saying things like that, great stories in history, and talking and trying to make it be about what we were doing was something somewhat historic and that hadn't been done before. We can do this. We're you know, we're crossing the mountains, we're going to settle on the other side, and how do we get there? The Indians might get us, you know, what do we got to do to get there? And so it was very much um, of aligning us together. And I think that, you know, we were very successful in doing that, is aligning the people to the task and knowing that we were all going into battle together, not just trying to do this individually. So, you know, now it's a lot easier to communicate than it was in 99, but still people kind of block it out you know now it's easier to block a lot of a lot of the technology stuff out there whereas before you know it was less technology more one-on-one but i, I still think the one-on-one is um, critical in building teams just got to have that relationship so lisa would you mind giving a brief overview of what your business is okay well i was inter- i interviewed with my business partner for an accounting job in her very small um, asset management firm. And we just clicked. I had been off after I had had a, um, I'd had a ba- my first child. And I had the company that I was with was bought by Baker Petroleum and moved everything to Houston. So I'd just been off for a few months and I was looking to get back in. I thought this seems like an easy job to do. How hard could this be? Soon figured out that 
the, the United States government had worked for single family homes nationwide that had been foreclosed um, by FHA. And once FHA receives them, then we, um, they, they hired contractors to market them, manage them and market them. And so we found some small contracts, and as we always did, we said, how hard could it be? You know, we, this is the work we do. And um, so we kind of learned on a very, what was supposed to be a very difficult portfolio of houses. And um, again, we didn't know, because we had never done this work before, so we had this difficult portfolio of houses, kind of learned how to do the property management, um, the valuations, the sales, and the closings. And so essentially we started marking ourselves as, um, for the U.S. government, we were kind of reshaping that program to where they were returning homes to home ownership. So it was a bad story that's turned into a great story because now you have a new homeowner living in that community. You know, that was, we'd been in this boutique business in real estate asset management for 10 years at that point, and now we were starting to see it to become an industry, and ultimately by 2008, it became a huge industry. So our experience in marketing and sales was what drove us. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast, and now Be Epic.